0: Welcome back to another episode of the Uptime Punks, and we're here to speak about the corporate responsibilities of large tech corporations and how they help change the world. Um, many of you will ask yourself, what What does this really mean? And um, we always see this big tech giants on TV and how many millions of dollars of profit they've made and uh, how everything's going so well. But what we don't see, and this is why the Uptime punks are here, is all the great things to do behind the curtain. And this is what we're doing here. We're lifting the curtain to show how Dell technology is changing millions of lives around the globe. And with that said, we had a fantastic guest, which is Janine Wagner, which is the head of thought leadership at Dell Technologies. And she comes and talks to us about some of the projects to do. And
1: um, yeah, I, Tim, I don't think we need to have more than this. And no, I think just this, have fun, and um, yeah, listen in. So, welcome to another episode of the Uptime Punks. We are again in the United States, but with a fellow German speaker, although this podcast will be in in English. Um it is our pleasure to welcome Shanine Wegner from Dell and she's a fourth leader, marketing, PR, sustainability. She does so many things and uh, we have so little time, but I hope we can cover the essential in this episode. So um, welcome, Shannin, how are you today?
2: Um, hi, everyone. Um, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm great. Sun is shining. Finally, again in Texas after all that snow and ice, so I'm doing great. How are you guys?
0: Yeah, are, are the solar panels still um, frozen? <laughs> or no, it was not the solar panels. It was no, the, wind the, wind turbine. Turbine. <laughs> the wind turbine. The wind
2: turbine. No, yeah. they're all up and running again, um, you know, so it's, it's all good. Spring is back, um, flowers are blooming, uh, trees are back, so it's looking good.
0: So, um, of course, with when, when Uptime Punks, we always have a couple of questions to get you guys warmed up. And um, it always gets interesting when it comes to Dell technologies, because all of you guys seem to be tech freaks. So I'm a little bit curious to see what's gonna, how it's going to turn out with you, <laughs> if you. If you build as well some uh, roller, blades with uh, rockets in the back. But, um, yeah, should we just start with the simple one? What was your first mobile phone?
2: My first mobile phone, I actually had to look it up because there were like so many Nokias that I seem to own. So I think my very first one was a 6110 in like 97, 98 or something. But then I remembered I had one that's like, I think like a smaller version, like a 31 something where I had like all of those covers that I could exchange and knew like every week I would have a new cover. And then my favorite ones from this time is the Motorola Racer, the flip one. And I had a pink one. I thought I was the coolest kid on the street. Um, so yeah, that's the earliest memories of mobile phone that I <laughs> I can remember.
0: Yeah, I, I remember. I had one of these as well. Mine, I had the purple one. I think that was the VI <laughs> version even. That was like the, the the it was like a midnight purple. So it would change the color,
1: but was Ooh. it before or after the Nokia? Well, I, uh, Nokia well, but my two. my
0: favorite was the Nokia Communicator. I felt like the absolute <laughs> boss man. <Like laughs> I was this little like like spoiled brat, um, walking around like I thought I was the most important person. Flipping it open, and I remember my dad got me. I think it was the five thousand three hundred. It was a smaller one, and I was like, no. I wanted nine thousand three hundred. That was a really <laughs> big one. That was almost like you carrying around the computer. And I need. I had to have it for fifteen years at high school because I wanted to be the man. And it had. And it had the, a a colored display even. Um, oh. yeah and and here comes the thing so when well, well I'm not going to get into details but when we used to like <laughs> try to get like a number or like exchange details in the classroom, we would write it in big screen and just put it behind our head like this. <laughs> and we used to use this during classes to cheat.
2: Well, well, that was the, the thing, right? Like with the small <laughs> phones and just like how we did text message. I mean, you could do yeah. it behind your back, uh, you know, under the table. No yes. one ever noticed. Today, I couldn't even imagine how to do
1: that.
0: <laughs> so yeah, because, it, was, um, it
2: was a really good skill to have.
0: Yeah, because now I even struggle while cycling to send a message because you don't have that physical feeling of the keyboard. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's 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 true. So, what about computers? When did you get your first computer? And was it the Dell computer? And was it a Dell computer? Or maybe we're not allowed to ask this question. <laughs>
2: Ooh, uh, no, it was not a Dell computer. Um, I think I was like fourteen-ish. Um, I think it was an Asus. Yeah. Um, or an Acer? I don't even know, uh, <laughs> to be quite honest. But I do know that I worked for four weeks at my dad's uh, firm in sort of like doing some some task, and, and I had all this money and was so proud of, you know, having this money. And then I had to hand it over all at once for this uh, laptop, which was very heartbreaking. Um, but it was the first time when I realized, you know, technology is expensive when <laughs> you have to work really hard for it take some time so i guess a good
0: lesson after all so 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 is that what inspired you to get into um but get into tech was that your sort of path into it that you got your first computer and you got curious about it or like what's your background like how did you end up to be in the role you're in now at at dell like what what was the pathway behind it does technology like interest you or
2: Well, I think you know, from, from the nation also, the, the mobile phones and computers like was always great. And I knew that technology could help me do things and be creative and you know get organized and write something and share something and connect. It wasn't necessarily that I wanted to be in in tech or working for a tech company, but my my very first internship was at eBay. So I thought of, you know, it was really cool on sort of digital technology online communities having this platform and then um that sort of stayed with me so I'm not really started in a tech field but I started you know how to use technology in certain ways and then other companies were more about again social media digital marketing and that's how I got into um Dell as well. Actually, I was about to go to Facebook. I already had a contract to move to Dublin and go to Facebook. And then LinkedIn proposed to me if i um, wanted to stay near my hometown and yeah. you know want to do Please. like social media and online marketing the,
1: the, and most I was like, just never get to choose between you know Facebook. No,
0: which color do you like more actually they have the same color the logo it's both blue
2: yeah yeah um, <laughs> well, blue right um and so it, it was a really hard decision because obviously facebook you know um that looks good on the yeah. on, on your CV but then I, I looked into the job description of, of Dell and also talked to a couple of people and I just felt I had more opportunity with the job and like what I could do and kind of what I could contribute uh, than the one that I uh, was about to do at Facebook and so I decided to start start at Dell and it was the the global brand campaign team. I was the only one speaking German. I was the only one outside of the headquarters here in in Round Rock. And it was a time when they launched the first ever brand campaign, the power to do more, That, that that was the name. And it launched in Germany, so it was good, you know, having a German on the team <laughs> who could check all the copy and who could check all, all the website and advertising and, you know, going to road shows like Sabit and and stuff like this. So. So, so
0: you basically were at the so right difficult. time in the right place as well. Yeah. So all like um, the, how, how did the universe brought you to the right place? I,
2: I mean, exactly. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, Paul and I, both based in London for a, a British company, we both know firsthand how good it is to be a uh, German speaker among Brits, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, eBay, um, how how was eBay in the early days? Just like a little sign because I'm, I'm interested.
2: Oh, eBay, it, it was a really cool time. I also think that, you know, the universe was telling me something to, to start there as well. The other option I had was um, at Siemens. A medical solution. It was also sort of like an, an online community type of job. But I walked into the Siemens office and I was like, nope, that's, I just didn't fall home. I walked into the eBay headquarters in Berlin and I was like, yep, that feels right. <laughs> and um, it, it was a great time. I was actually in the bio experience department and I just thought this is so cool from everything that you learned, you know, in, in university of how, um companies are structured and you have marketing and sales and all those things but eBay had a seller experience and then a buyer experience and I thought this is just so smart in focusing on your core audience and making sure that you know each site has the best experience on on the platform so I learned a lot about looking through the customer lens and how that defines everything that you do so it was it was great it was very vivid uh, lots of collaboration I think that was the other learning um, that I took from it it was you will never stop to come up with ideas and collaborate with others and just you know do your own thing
0: yeah um and then one of the most favorite questions because we all were in the pandemic now, um, and everybody sort of, well, unfortunately, I mean, who would have thought about that one? And um, w- one of the questions we ask all our guests, and I'm sorry I have to ask you the same, is well, what is your favorite um, lockdown gadget?
2: Well, um, does my Peloton count <laughs> as, as, as a gadget? I don't know. It's a really big gadget. <laughs> um, but sort of, you know, at first I was like, oh, I'm not buying into this. But then, you know, as the pandemic and as everything closed down I did get one and it literally I want to say almost saved my life like it provided a way of breaking down my day like looking forward to something really having a hard stop with with work and like forcing myself to to do something for myself to shut off my brain you know have someone instruct me what to what to do and chasing up a hill Um, but coupled with Sort of like motivational and grounding um, speeches in between, and I didn't realize for for a long time how much that that meant to me until I actually didn't have access to a Peloton. and then I was like, oh my gosh, something is missing. My body and my mind is just experiencing something <laughs> withdrawal, like strong withdrawal, and um, yeah, now I'm I'm glad I'm I'm back on it. So that. That whole community and again connection and doing something for your body helped.
0: Oh. Okay, um, we're sind glaube ich stehen geblieben bei um, ich habe Lockdown Gadget, ne? Genau. I've heard and then I weg. Okay, so then um, the, the next question we ask everybody is um, uptime. How how do you define uptime for yourself because um, we're called the, the the notorious uptime punks. Um, and ah. and and how would you say you define uptime for yourself because um, of course you're coming um, from okay. you're coming sort of also from a consumer um, background in terms of like um, well, you guys always have a lot of clients mm-hmm. around the world you need to look after, so you probably have a business yeah. terminology for how you would define uptime. Um, probably from a from a from a marketing media perspective, it's probably that uh, all the channels are up and running. But maybe you can, um, yeah. How how you define uptime?
2: <laughs> well, yeah, that's actually I haven't thought about it on on like a marketing lens, but you know, speaking of technology and what we want to provide, I mean, especially pandemic, as we we're just talking about it, I think it's it's so critical that technology and sort of communication is always on an all-time high and up and accessible to to everyone, which also um, I think due to the pandemic, we've seen that this is not the case for everyone across the world, which is a big, big problem. And we want to help address. But I think when I thought about you know uptime, I also thought about downtime. <laughs> and especially now, I think we humans, we need to learn how to be very conscious about our downtime and taking it and uh, do things that that are fun. So yeah, while we're being asked to be on all the time. It's equally important to find some downtime and, um, which is really hard, hard these
0: days because uh, yeah, I, I feel like every, well i don't, I don't know it's, uh, well, maybe we can speak about okay. it openly here. Um, mm-hmm. it's like I, I feel I feel a lot of people um, due to what's happening around the world, a little bit driven by fear, um, which means they want to keep the jobs, so they feel like well, if they need to step up to the plate, but also the thing is like with, through all this digital stuff, you can't really you can't really have a barrier anymore yeah. where you can be like, well now I'm at uh, now I'm going home, I'm leaving the office, I'm leaving my work behind. Um, your you, your office is your home now which means that if an email comes in at 10 o'clock in the evening and you will look at it because it's so much better than whatever is on in the news, especially for you guys in the US three months back, I mean, you had Donald Trump on the news, so that didn't make it really entertaining either. Uh, No, it's actually the the news
2: app I wasn't using as much back in the days uh, (laughs) because of uh, exactly that. But yeah, I I agree. It it makes it much more complicated. That's why I think we need to learn be more conscious about it and really make efforts and sit down with ourselves and be honest to ourselves to say like what do i need like when do i need it what do i need and Mm -hmm. um and enforce those rules and be open and authentic about it to to your team or whoever you work with or you know whoever you need um them to give you some some space and then do something that is purely for you that brings joy to you and it can be just Taking a nap, it can be reading a book, it can be painting or walking outside. It doesn't matter, and no one even has to know. You don't need anyone's opinion on it. Just do whatever you know you feel uh gives you back that energy and recharges your battery, right? Um I, I really like seeing a lot of times on on social media that that image of when we have a low battery on our phones, right? We go and like mm. panic to charge it. When we run low, on our battery, like, we don't do anything. We have the feel of, like, doing even more, being more available, you know, always on. It's not healthy. <laughs> and, no,
1: definitely not. You know, know, so. it's, it's a nice parallel, yeah, between our phones that we always want to keep yeah. charged in ourselves. Yeah, we... it, 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 it's, it's it's quite bizarre and it's quite different. But
0: coming to the next one, um, so the, the thing is, so the UptemPunks was created in order to give thought leadership a platform, right? And um, I would say that you're one of the pioneer, pioneers of thought leadership. So how do you define thought leadership? What is thought leadership to you? <laughs> and how do you see well, it? Well, you know, it's,
2: it's quite a buzzword. It's like it, it's everywhere because I think it's, you know, people would like to feel good about themselves and call themselves thought leaders. But it's not as easy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as it is. So in, in like the purest things, I think, you know, it's about, breaking through and sort of positioning with some novel idea in in a specific area let's say of interest or of topic mm-hmm. and then really gaining authority and credibility and so what you need for this is a you know you need a thought like you need something meaningful something unique but then the leadership part is about at least for, for us like a, effective distribution it's about bringing in all the right voices that can turn that thought into something applicable to your audiences, for instance, or whoever you want to, to address. And it's not that you are calling yourself a leader. Other people have to, you know, give you the accreditation and, um, you know they are saying that you are a thought leader so i think there's it's a it's a buzzword and it's often misunderstood It you just do some white papers or something and then you you send it out in good old marketing fashion and then you can call yourself mm. a thought leader you are not calling yourself a thought leader others are calling you a thought leader and it takes mm-hmm. some time and so it's it's a lot of fun <laughs> to do for, for a company right and i think what we do is specifically fun because we do research on digital transformation, emerging technologies, and stuff like this. So it's. There's so much to discover, um, and, and that's what yes, is so, so exciting. Yes, yeah, so
0: that's so that's yeah. So that's one of the next points because when people think about Dell, they think about laptops. Okay, now we came across the infrastructures. <laughs> um, we took some of you even on the journey to Florian, who was st- speaking about cars and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why we were very keen on getting Janine here because she's actually going to show us a whole different side of Dell that probably a lot of people are hopefully hopefully should be aware of but maybe are not fully aware of in the industry because everybody thinks all oh, these big tech companies they just think about themselves and they don't think about anybody else and um yeah that's why we thought it was great to have janina because um I, I think you're going to speak a little bit about um some of the great things where you guys um help create change around the world and some of the pledges you have taken <laughs> so um should we just jump straight into it um I, I heard something with a number at some point when we did the pre-interviews, which was, um, Oh, so can we do numbers? <laughs> no, like in terms of the, they did a pledge of how many people's lives. They, well, I, anyways, yeah. Janine, maybe you can speak a little bit about it. I'm going to give you the stage. <laughs> here.
2: Sure. So, um, yeah, so we're not just a PC company or infrastructure company. In fact, you know, we say we're, or we want to be the essential, um, end-to-end infrastructure company, um, in, in the digital age. And it's, it's a big term and we have lots to offer, but beyond that, you know, our mission is to create technology that drives human progress. And that's a big loaded statement. <laughs> and, you know, so what does it actually mean in, in real life? Um, and I wanna take a step back because I think it's really important to understand that this is not just something that we put on a slide and we show everyone, but it's something that Michael has invested himself. So, when the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals uh, were put together in 2015, right, Michael Dell was himself the global advocate for Goal 8, which is about decent work and economic growth. And so, together with other with partners, we ran a global advocacy campaign and we collected 1.2 billion signatures for the support of Goal 8, so it can actually be part of the 17 SDGs. And it that that was, to me, just mesmerizing and really the first time for me to wake up and see, like, how can we combine all the things that we produce, but then to put it into action and, and make good use of it? Um, and then, in, in essence, we believe that, you know, because we have the skill that we have and because we have that portfolio and all the partnerships across the world and smart people, you know, within, within our company that we play a very important role in making this progress actually real for those global issues. And so on the one hand, we set ourselves some really mm. important and a very really ambitious social impact goals to do our part. And we divide this into four categories, like sustainability, improving lives through technology, diversity, inclusion, and ethics and privacy. So those are the our four pillars of our social impact um, agenda. And each of those we have those ambitious goals and then on the other hand we also want to know how technology will impact the future and this is where my thought leadership team and i come in in exploring what that actually means and partnering with futurists to forecast what 2030 looks like so it's kind of like two dynamics right it's like forecasting and checking Uh, Through sort of industry research, where are we? What do we have to do? What are the barriers? What are people struggling with? At the same Mm. time, we know we have to be an active part in that solution as well. So the number that you were um, handing to is actually (laughs) uh, through one of our pillars that's improving life through technology. We want to advance health, education, economic opportunity for 1 billion people by 2030. Mm.
0: That's quite a handful i would yeah. say yeah <laughs> yeah and, and this last year we had
2: about 46.5 million um people sort of cumulative through through various um initiatives
0: so 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 it's it's basically it's like it's like um it's like um well, not to get me wrong it's like a moonshot project. it is we actually um, call guys them moon we need ter- to get to the moon, yeah, we, we call them moon ter- oh there <laughs> we go <moon> so cool. <laughs> Um, because- <laughs> no, but but I think it's great because um, I, I think you guys are t- you, well. You're a leader, and you're a leader in terms of um, one. You're a leader in terms of the size of the company you guys have around the globe. Um, it's 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 a household yeah. name. Dell is a household name. Every child knows Dell. Um, so you're up there with the top four or five, let's say. Then mm-hmm. uh, the other thing is you guys are also, um, but you're aware of your social responsibilities to, to society. And it's just I I think uh, heads off. I mean, it's really great that you guys are saying you know what we want to do the change and. We're going to try to aim for the stars because only if we aim for the stars then we will achieve something and along mm. the way we're going to try to create great things uh yeah amazing so how are you planning on doing <laughs> so what are you doing with one billion people how you that was my question too what what, what what's next yeah, let's because... yeah well yeah so so, <laughs> so, so so how does the path look like that you're going to reach to that um sort of amount? right
2: so i mean to to get to this i think you know looking at this dynamic of where we are today and and where we want to go and then how we can help so part of the thought leadership that we do is every two years we track the status of digital transformation across the world it's called the digital transformation index we've been doing it um, since 2016 and part of this um, research was they were like oh we don't know what our industry looks like and you know three to five years it was a time with all the Airbnbs and the Ubers coming up and just disrupting everything and um, and then we're like oh, okay like I think we can help in forecasting the future and how emerging tech is impacting our work how we live economy and everything in between um, And then at the same time, we did those social impact goals. So I think one of the areas where this comes clear how we can contribute is that access to technology, which is more essential than ever, right? Addressing those issues and, and connecting us and really making sure that everyone can be part of this new digital area and this digital economy. So one of the things that we looked at, which is a theme both in the research and in our social impact goals, is how to unlock those inclusive opportunities and in bringing really everyone in this digital economy. So let me start with the with the forecast. What we heard from the futurists is, is that because the cost of developing new technologies will go down or will continue to decline, so like mobile handsets, you know, manufacturing, all of those, there will be new opportunities to bypass really traditional large-scale infrastructure that we might know, right? And we have experienced over the past years. And so for a lot of developing worlds, they can actually leapfrog, right, their economy into this new age in a much easier way and and fashion and create those inclusive approaches to innovation, development, and all those things. So this will allow people to access capital, to access, um, key resources that we take for granted so much, health service, energy, water, education, all those things that are just so essential. Um, And a lot of people aren't really included in that. The World Bank back in 2017, they estimated that 1.1 billion people globally lack a formal identification, like a birth certificate, right? I was like, okay, that's what does it mean? Well, it means that because they don't have identification, it makes them harder for children to, to get vaccinated. Mm. You're nothing. You're yeah. nothing,
1: really. If you don't exist on paper, you don't exist. Yeah, but how do you know them? What's,
0: uh, yeah, but here comes my funny part then. How do you know how many people are actually in the world if you don't even have people registered with a birth certificate? Yeah, that's, yeah, well, that's, it, like, again, it's, that's yeah, the yeah, role estimation? of well, that It's your
2: next job to get to the World Bank <laughs> and also how they come up with that. um yeah. But it's, you know, what you said like they can get <laughs> education, <laughs> they can get yeah. vaccines, adults cannot purchase anything, right? They cannot make any mm. contracts, access Some credit,
1: car, yeah. or both.
2: Mm, so yeah. when we look at, you know, very volatile environments in, in some continents like in, in Africa uh, or somewhere in Asia, right? If you don't have identification, you they, they refer to it as that as capital. Basically, you, you have something that you call your own, but then through a military push or whatever regime change, they can just take whatever they want. And you have no means yeah. Yeah. to take it. Well. So, what does it mean, right, in terms of bringing people along this? Now, obviously, we cannot change change everything, but some things that we've done is to make sure that people have means of, uh, you know, for instance, access to healthcare. So, one example um, that that we've been doing in India, for instance is working with the government. Actually it started in back in 2013 with two volunteers, <laughs> two Dell volunteers that you know helped out okay. in in like rural as somewhere in rural India and they um, saw that there is a really a big lack of communication and ways of having preventive health care to people in rural areas because of the resources that weren't there. Mm. And there is a rise in India of what's called non-communicable diseases, which is like cancer, diabetes, heart diseases, and so forth, which when you have access to preventive health care measures, right, oftentimes those can be treated mm. um, early on, but a lot of them don't have mm. it. And 63 million people um, each year fall into medical poverty, meaning they cannot even afford anything. One in five do suffer from those um, diseases. They cause 61 percent of death mm. and they cost the Indian economy 4.5 trillion um, accumulated in till 2030. So it's like a huge thing on multiple levels. It's like a, it's a national governmental issue and it's down to the very person um, that lived there. So what, what we wanted to go to is like, how can we bring preventive healthcare to those hundreds of millions mm-hmm. of people that live in remote villages and you know do not have any access to, to healthcare. So with mm-hmm. um, our customer Tata Trust, we developed a a cloud-based mobile application um, that, and it's called Digital Life Care, that's the the name of it. And it's a nationwide solution that provides this preventative care through like some screening. So the people that have um, the the app, they can go through and, and like ask the person things, they have like instructional videos, what to test for and so forth. So it will be, monitored in, in the app and will be shared and stored in in the cloud. And at the same time, the government can look at this, where are resources needed? Where do we have to put up new doctor's office, maybe even hospitals and so forth? So it's like on, hmm. on two levels really important. And the other thing was that it needs to be something mobile for healthcare workers to go to those rural villages And not for the people to travel two, three hours to the next big city where there's a healthcare clinic, Mm. right? Because they wouldn't do it. So um, Mm. it's it's a massive daunting challenge. But then also what what they help doing is when it first grew from 60,000 to 40 million in a year, in one year, and there will be 2.5 million new enrollees every month. And the goal is to have 350 million by 2030. And good news, by the beginning of the month, we were already at 90 million. They were digitally enrolled. Mm-hmm. And what it provides to each one of them is that they have one single health record that's now available. And if, you know, hopefully not, but if they have to go to a hospital or a doctor, they can just pull it up through their unique health ID and they can be treated. They can see into all the history and so forth. They have an ID. They can, you know get like all the tree- i mean that's
0: further that's further than some some of the developed countries i
1: mean um, that's that's what i was about i mean, to i say. Mean, I, <laughs> I i i i
0: i i i mean me and tim are notoriously known for being the hate preachers but um, Germany doesn't even have this. I, I mean, in Germany they're still the debating of which file is going to be carried from which bunker to which bunker. And I was
1: uh, about to say it's still all on paper. You <laughs> know? <yeah>. It's like <laughs> someone running from building yeah.
0: A to building C. This is Paul's, like yeah, with a little with a little like e- <laughs> e-can wagon, you know, like yeah. carrying the files around. But I guess this again- is what
1: what Shanine meant by leapfrogging, exactly. really. And um, yeah. it's going to be amazing to see how... It's great what you guys from. do out there. They, and, they, can, they yeah, can learn from um, all
2: the, well, say, mistakes, challenges, you know, what? what however you want to put it. Yeah. Like in the, you know, developer world, where we think we, we have figured a lot of stuff out. And then when, when you're mm. actually taking a step back and thinking about, okay, how can we help the people? Again, you know, coming back to this point of view of looking through the eyes of the customer or the user. In this case, it was the people that are very remote. But, you know, Mm. the Indian government said, we do want to care for them. Like, they should, of course, you know, it's a universal right to have access to healthcare, But it's just, we just don't have the infrastructure. How can we know where to send and how to strategize our resources and plan for all of this. And I think the, you know, what we're so proud of, and again, what we had this end-to-end portfolio that helped us because we brought in VMware, we brought in Pivotal, we brought in Dell infrastructure, brought in the security, really like the complete end-to-end thing to build something. There's a mobile app, there's a cloud, um, you know, low infrastructure costs, automated, there's privacy gateways and all of those things to, ensure this unique and very sensitive data and having your own health health ID. so again, it's just fascinating and you know if you think about two people that volunteered somewhere um eight years ago and now it grew into this national wide thing it's it's just amazing it's it, amazing. Effect, it, it
0: affected it it affected initially already 90 million people so that's yeah. just shows you two people and this is maybe to all the listeners out there um if you believe in idea just go ahead with it. Put your heart and passion right. into it, and, and it's you never know. It can affect. It can affect the world. that's what.
1: Um, yeah, just what the team did. Yeah, yeah. Just to add on that, I think it's very um, how you say it's so uh, interesting if you look at it that digital identity is kind of the foundation of all this. You wouldn't have thought of this, really. You thought, oh, it's a health problem. But actually, at the base, it's a digital identity problem. You know what I mean? So yeah, it takes a lot of uh, courage. Because once you have identity, you can just advance in so many. It's not just for yeah. health, but also other things. Um,
0: I, I think. Around... I think, and
1: just just to add one one more on that, and I think that's thought leadership. You know, no, what that I mean?
0: truly is thought leadership, to be honest. But then, from there, I think you guys are doing also some stuff for students. <laughs> Uh, yeah.
2: So, you know, I mean, it's interesting because when, when you talk about it so openly and you make those connections, right? Like having identification, uh, which allows you then to have access to healthcare. And then if you spin that, yeah. that, that further, you know, like that taking education at, at the next thing. So another parallel, th- um, thread that from, from the research and, and what we're doing is, you know, if we think about everyone being part of that, economy, a formal economy, you know, let's start low and then hopefully, you know, leapfrog into this digital um, economy. So our futurists, when we did the future of work uh, forecast, they actually estimated that 85% of the jobs that we'll be doing in 2030 haven't yet been invented. So if you think Mm. about this, you know, as as we're looking into what will the economy be, what jobs will there be, what companies will will there be? um, if 85% of the jobs haven't been invented yet, that also means the skills that we need, we don't know. We haven't learned them yet, maybe. Yeah. Right. So, we, and then we said, OK, well, what does it mean for us today? Right. Like, it's a very yeah. personal. When I heard this the first time, I was like, so what can I do to, like, you know, be employable? Well, you need to ask incentive. yourself also. Yeah. So, the, the, yeah. the thought is that, you know, the ability to gain new knowledge. Will be more valued, or will be valued higher than the knowledge that you already have. So it's important for all of us humans, specifically, um, to learn, unlearn, and relearn, right? And sort of like learn in the moment. Um, and technology can help with that, like VR, AR, and, and all those.
0: Well, that's the, that, that, that's that's um, that's the uptime in in the United right? States. Right. It's like we're talking too much. Um, did. <laughs> No, it's fine. i um 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 I was just telling Tim probably that that I hope the cables didn't freeze in Texas because um, maybe you guys have thermal frost now as well. And then uh, but yeah, um, okay. where, where, where it just cut you off. um Janine was uh, you started talking about the future yeah. of work and how you guys uh, um thought about the generations to come. And I, I think what was a very interesting point before um you continue was that um if we look at the pandemic, right? There was, even during the pandemics now, there was jobs created that didn't exist before, which was like um, digital, um, I don't know, even we we all work in marketing, like (laughs) digital marketing executives. I mean, these kind of things, like the past was like, oh, yeah, just some LinkedIn posts and everything. And now it became like this entire massive, um, there's even companies who are just doing this now, digital stuff. And in the past, people didn't have it so much on their radar until now. We all had to advance basically, 10 years advancement within six months time because um Absolutely. we had to find different ways how to engage with audiences. <laughs> but um yeah. So yeah. back
2: to you. No that's actually we actually <laughs> did run a, a digital transformation index, you know, not that we had planned for it, but as I said, we're doing it every two years and we did it last year in July, August, um in the height of the pandemic and yeah, eighty percent of of companies have fast tracked some sort of digital transformation project, which they estimated to be like for the next three to five years. They had to do in just a few weeks or <laughs> months. So um yeah, it sort of like spurred a lot of things and and went hand in hand to that in sort of like reskilling yourself, like you know, assessing a situation that you have no control over, but you know in it and what to do. And I think hopefully a lot of people learn some new skills of how to take this and how to learn in the moment and and so forth. But then coupled that with, you know, the the digital pace um, and, and change that we're in and also this opportunity. So some things that we have to think about, if we imagine the next 10 years to be Um, about this human-machine partnership, right? You asked me about gadgets and all those things, like we're already in this partnership, if we want it or not. If you don't want it, you have to (laughs) sort of cut out everything. Um, But even more so, it will be much, much tighter. And what we want to say, it will be much more beneficial for the humans, (laughs) really than the machines, because technology is just technology. It's what we make of it and how we're using it, that decides if it's good or bad. So one of the skills that we need to look at is like creative drive, logic, complex decision-making, emotional intelligence, as well as objective judgment, right? This is something that we humans uh, can, can do through awareness and um, being able to sense other people's emotions, expressing emotions. Um, but also then having that literacy into the technology. And one of the key skills that was identified was AI fluency. So it doesn't mean we all have to be coders and super mathematicians and knowing how AI works, but it's about learning how AI machine learning can be implemented, how it can be your co-partner um, for parts of a project, for parts of workflows, accomplish some tasks, then you take the output and then you're gonna do the decision-making, you're gonna do the strategizing and so forth. So how what are we doing to like help people Get there right again. It's all about including more and more people into this digital economy, and also thinking about all the people that do not have access to to this. So there are two things that that we're doing. Um, one is we have very long standing multi million dollar uh, commitments to providing underserved youth um, high quality science, technology, and um, mathematics. Um, education. So like all the STEM education and the access to technology. And again, it's like part of our partnerships are, you know, right outside our um, our door in the developed world, but also looking in developing countries. We have an initiative that's been going on for some time, which is called the Solar Learning Labs. So we talked about <laughs> renewable energy, right? So how can we partner all the sustainability, education, technology all, all at once? And this is um, where we um, use old shipping containers um, and turn them into classrooms that are equipped on top with solar panels and inside will be uh, the Dell technology. And we're putting them in key strategic places in Mexico, Ethiopia, and South Africa. And so far,
1: By those 21
2: locations. of them were able to, you know, fund and do that together with our partners, about 17,000 students that now have access to technology. Wow. Um, You know, learn those digital skills. So there is, it's not just the access it's also about the the modules and the trainings that we do with them. So they can really learn, how do I use the internet? (laughs) You know, how do I build a website? How can I, if I have an idea on how to help something or how to help my community, how can I use all this great technology and connectivity to connect people, to find vendors, to sell something, to buy something and, and all those things.
0: Well, that's great. I mean, um, the, the the thing is, um, yeah. I mean, what you guys are doing is really great. Um, t- Tim, Tim wanted to know why exactly these locations? Why are they close? You guys are probably planning to go to more countries as well, I assume. Yes. So, um, so why did you start particularly there? This is probably the question that Tim wanted to know, right? Well,
2: partly a lot of those things, right? Like, start with people on the ground. <laughs> so just like yeah. you know the, the the people like in, in India um Dell employees who uh, found an opportunity it's the same uh same here so we actually uh, started I think the first one was in fact in uh, Ethiopia and then we had other partnerships in South Africa and saw this and so forth so it's just getting there but also we were partnering with um the the partner the nonprofit partners called computer aid um and every lab costs around a uh, hundred thousand dollars so it, oh, wow. You know, and yeah. it's like the converting, equipping the stuff, um, we to the yeah. technology, but it's it's not just, you know, like putting it somewhere and then it just stand there. No, you have to it. safeguard
0: it as well. Because, exactly. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. just a
2: whole program around it. So, um, yeah. and I think that's, yeah. that's another interesting thing that we've seen when we talk about digital divide and, you know, let's come back to the pandemic yeah. on, on sort of those things. It's, I mean, it's been mind-blowing when, you know, you think about that with everything that happened, and we already knew there were, you know, huge challenges, and people didn't have access to internet, but the pandemic even, like, supercharged it, I think, and opened our eyes, really, that it's everywhere. It's not, like, a problem for the developing countries. No, it's a problem for, for everyone. And...
0: It's a problem for the humans. I mean, mean, we're all human after all. Yeah, it's a
2: universal right, human right, that that internet access and and how critical it is. And so in the U.S. um, alone, like the southern, more rural states are particularly affected. So are local income families. And then Black, Latinx, and Native American students are disproportionately affected. So they make about like all student, which is like 50 million, roundabout, like public um, students in in the US, they make up 40% of the population, but they make up 54% of the divide. And when you think about this in terms of internet access, when the pandemic started of those 50 million, 30% had no connectivity
0: yeah, crazy. in the US. Mm. Yeah, we just take it for granted. No. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, no, I, <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy because we take it for granted. And, I mean, it's the same like internet access is the smallest hurdle. I think uh, um, what we personally saw, a lot, of, a lot of colleagues, family, friends, whatever it is here in the UK, that they, they don't have a computer. Yep. Mm. I mean, the kid's homeschooling. How are you going to do homeschooling without a computer? Uh, not, not every family can afford to have two, three, four laptops lying around. And, um, <laughs> so yeah, okay, everybody do homeschooling on Zoom. <laughs> well, on what? Um, yeah. yeah, it's like... Um, I mean, our company uh, heads off to this. Um, Tim probably doesn't know this, um, but our company, what they did is they helped our um, employees and basically gave them um, extra units, um, so they could um, people could basically educate their kids at home, and uh, which was a nice gesture, I think. But not everybody was as fortunate as um, as us. And um, yeah, it's, I mean,
2: it's, the same, it
0: shows you digital divide is reality. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what, yeah.
2: what those kids then had to do is like, you know, when the parents were coming home from their two, three jobs, you know, and then they were like taking those classes or learning something on the mobile phones with like really scrappy internet connection. So, but the thing is, you know, on a digital divide, you know, it's not just the access to the internet. What you said as well, like it's, it's, they're actually multiple pillars. So it's, Access to affordable and robust broadband, right? So, you know, we can talk about 5G and how this will help so much, but there needs to be tremendous um, advocacy and investment to really have that covering um, for, for for everyone and not just for some hotspots, um, how it's currently. But also the internet-enabled devices. So when we look at, you know, the that they don't have access to it and then, you know more um, affluent families, that do have multiple ones, and maybe even the newest versions. It is critical when we're addressing, when we're thinking about how to bridge the digital divide, that we provide a minimum quality level for everyone. So it's not to give the you know um, low-income families outdated technology. We need to set a level of this, so it needs to be internet enabled. You know, does it need to have touch devices? Again, that depends on what are the modules <laughs> and what are you going to do, yeah. right? If we're thinking of kindergarten mm. and so forth, they're not going to write essays, and they don't need just you know a text program. They might be drawing yeah. things and and so forth. So, it that's another thought. We need to have good quality devices um, for everyone. based, and yeah. then you know, spin it further. It's when we think about. digital education, it's not just training for the students and like how they're going to use the programs. It's equally important to Hmm. teach the teachers. If a teacher isn't enabled and trained properly,
0: so you educate the educator.
2: how, (laughs) how, How are we expecting them, you know, to get adjusted to this new environment? You know, take control and, and teach something valuable to, to the kids of like 20, 30 that are all calling in into Zoom, right? So it needs to be on, on both sides. The other one from infrastructure point, there needs to be quality technical support, which, you know, isn't granted in many of those rural and underserved communities. So we need to provide a infrastructure and we need to train more people in those areas that can provide this technical support. And then on the fifth element so to say is the applications and the online content i mean changing curriculum and education takes about two to four years so we don't have that time (laughs) right like there needs to be things now and so oftentimes it's we're not even prepared for this like how are we changing everything that you have learned and trained from a teacher's perspective in the classroom for years, now all of a sudden it needs to be content that students can do by themselves, but also we want them to participate and not lose the connection to their their peers. We want to be collaborative, so it's it's a lot (laughs) to, to look at this. And then um, you know the call to action is not just on those individual schools and teachers to come up with new ways how to do that, but also on the broader educational um, body to how are we preparing the future um, of, of teachers and, and what we are teaching to, to all of our students. If it takes two to four years to change a curriculum, I mean, that's mesmerizing. Um, the pace of change will be much, much quicker. So by the time you have developed a curriculum, let's say, you have something today, you start developing curriculum, it's going to be rolled out yeah. maybe in the first few um, universities, let's say. Um, and then it takes another two, three years until it's adopted every year. That's going to be like six years from now. Six years from now, we have 2027. We're very close to 2030 where we, you know, <laughs> already projected the whole world is going to change and we're going to have many jobs that we don't even know about. So it's, it's way too late. Um, and i'm, I'm talking on, on and on it's never too
0: late it it's never too late <laughs> but, but, but the thing is janine it's never too late and even if along the way along the way you make a progress and while you make that progress you develop and you help lives and you help yeah. people and you guys can maybe just you guys are aiming for the one billion lives that you're going to directly affect but think about the other billions of life you're indirectly affecting which is that Um, Maybe that person that gets that healthcare now through having this digital identity is going to start a family one day. And then you already changed uh, a life of an entire family, not just one person. So it's always the bigger picture. (laughs) I think it's great. It's really amazing what you guys do. And we're going to bring you back in 2030, (laughs) definitely. But also before that, because um, when we said initially, we said, um, well, we have a lot of topics to discuss. So we said we're going to make this a, a, a part one and a part two because um, otherwise it becomes super lengthy and we want everybody to stay focused. And um, this was the first two topics we actually wanted to discuss, because this is something which was very close to Janine's heart, I would say as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Because on on one hand is um, the healthcare, which is the digital identity, and then also the educational factor of it. And um, I think you guys are quite unique with the approach you're taking and trying to help people, which is Mm -hmm. um, great to see that social responsibility from a big corporation. Um,
2: well, yeah. well thank you yeah i mean you
0: know it's, <laughs> it's been <a> very <laughs> honored to have you guys here yeah. and speak about these things yeah. um because we we always we always like to to we're also we don't come across like it where we actually have a uh, we have a very warm heart um mm-hmm. yeah yeah we care about people as well sometimes <laughs> what you said earlier really
2: yeah. struck with me right like how one person or even just a small group of uh, people um by focusing yeah. on how to make a small change like it can just you know have yeah. this huge ripple effect and you don't know what's happening yeah. um down the line And i think that's something that we've seen throughout our research and, and like working with different people and experts yeah. across the world in different disciplines and also through our team members like we have this volunteering program right where we want to have yeah. 75% of our employees each year to volunteer in in some sort of fashion and it's yeah. when when you think about what's where you can make a difference right look around your community it's you don't mm. have to think about the big challenging overwhelming societal problems look around in your yeah. community what is a small change what is a small part that you can contribute to to make something better right? Do you have skills in like project management? Go down, you know, and and check out if you can help in providing necessary resources yeah. across the pandemic, um, whatever they need, water, clothes, something really small, right? And it will help people. They will feel it. They will give back. So that community aspect, I think is something that we should appreciate much, much more in our very sort of like individualistic oh, about
0: it. Um,
2: society <laughs> that, that we have in our, in our yes. Western culture. Um, so it gives me hope, you know, even the world seems to like throw different stuff at us um, each month, it feels like. Um, it, it gives me hope in terms of that we can reach this prosperous future um, when we do work together and take it step by step
0: well that's and as uh, our um i would say mentor and fellow to punk susanna taught us on our first interview <laughs> with her was um if you want to see change be the change yep. and start even like you said, Janine, as well, with the little things. So for all of you out there, if you want to see some change in your community, then be the one who starts to change. And then um, like we had the great example now with Dell, with the project you guys are doing in India, it was two people who started it and now 90 million people are already affected by it. And um, I think there's no better way to end this episode than to see how you guys are planning to reach even more people in the second part. <laughs> <laughs> Janine, um, the last words are with you. Anything you want to leave behind until we maybe a little cliffhanger to next time?
2: Well, first of all, I do appreciate, you know, um, podcasts and, and people like you who, who bring those stories um, to life, because I think it's, it's a great way of, of share, sharing that, that human side. And. Um, you know, also sharing what we do. Like we truly believe in the power of technology and it can drive human progress. And we're just not like putting it somewhere in nice words, we're actually uh, doing it. So thank you for having me on the show. As I mentioned, the social impact um, program that we have has, has four pillars. So I think next time we can dive a little bit deeper into the sustainability aspect. Um, and uh, maybe get some 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 other people um, on here as as well who can share what we're really doing, how we're working with our customers, our partners, but also with the government to really drive change and come up with innovative ideas of reusing plastics, recycling, you know how to use pollution and turn it into ink yeah. and all those sorts of things. Just to give a, a little teaser, but there are cru- truly fantastic ways of when. Brilliant minds come together using technology and using um, their smart to change the world.
0: Oh, thank you. And we hope that this podcast also inspires people to go out there and try to do some change. And please feel free to reach out to Janine online. You can find her LinkedIn. And uh, we'll also um, we'll put the links to uh, the projects you mentioned as well in the description so yep. you guys can check it out. And if you have any questions, I'm sure Janine is always happy to have somebody reach out and yeah get
1: encouraged and yeah any last words tim or um yeah i think it's i uh, feel quite inspired now i do and i i I now have a clearer picture of what thought leadership is and um yeah thank you for that janine thank
2: you janine you're welcome have a great day sky
0: So we think this is one of the most inspirational episodes we've had so far. And we hope that you guys got inspired. As we promised, the links will be shared um, for all the projects that Dell is working on. And yeah, and if you guys want to get involved, reach out to the team of Dell. And like they mentioned, um, two people started a little project and now it grew to um, a project which touched millions of people's lives. And if you guys want to get involved, feel free to reach out to Janine, to the team Adele, and yeah, reach out to the Uptim Punks. You can find us on PotBean, Google Podcast, Apple Music, LinkedIn. Well, we need to add something. It's getting a bit boring. And everywhere else. Uh, oh yeah, um, <laughs> um, um, in my little cycling group, got a got a guy who looks after the stuff from TikTok. So um maybe the optimum punks will get a TikTok account. And big shout out. But anyways, uh you take care. No worries. Thanks.
1: Cheers. Bye.